Uh, thank you, John. Good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. Uh, Jonathan and Drew are both pre preaching at two other churches. I think uh, Drew's in Bartow and Jonathan's at Cypress Ridge. Uh, so pray for them. Pray for them as they preach to other congregations. I know Drew was um, very sad to not be here. He's wearing a full, full-on suit today, um, and it is way too hot outside for that. Um, so this morning, we're going to continue our summer series titled The Incommunicable Attributes of God. We're calling it None Like Him. And what this means is that, th that we are looking at all the attributes and the characteristics of God, what makes God God if you will. That's what we're doing this summer series. More specifically, incommunicable attributes of God are qualities that God and God alone has. Only God can have these characteristics or these qualities. Last week, Jonathan unpacked what it means for God to be omniscient or he knowing everything. Two weeks ago, Drew unpacked what it means that God is eternal, that God is outside of the bounds and limits of the past, the present, and the future. God does not exist based on a timeline like everything else in the universe. These are qualities that only God has possession of. So this morning we're going to look at God's quality of omnipotence. Omnipotence is the fancy word we use to describe God being all-powerful. Omni means is Latin for all, and potence is Latin for the word powerful. Put them together and we get... There we go. All-powerful, omnipotence, all, all the same. Um, that is what we're going to look at this morning. And as we've been doing, I'm going to read a few scripture, two scripture passages that highlight God's omnipotence. Please follow along with me in your insert or on the screen behind me. We're going to look at Jeremiah 32, a few verses in there, and then a passage in Mark 4. This is Jeremiah 32, 17, 20 to 21, and 27. Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? This is Mark 34, excuse me, Mark 4, 35 to 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The, fl the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we have done each week in this series, we've broken up each sermon on the in incommunicable attributes of God into four parts. First, we're going to look at what it means that God is all-powerful, that God is omnipotent. Hopefully this will bring you into a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of majesty of who God is, who our God is. 
And second, we're going to see how we so easily fall into the sinful trap of thinking that, that we can be very powerful, or even all-powerful, and how we use our power selfishly and for our own gain. Third, we will try to have a better understanding of what it means to be human in regards to the power that we do have. All of us have some power in, in some degree or some shape, some form or another. So how do we use the power that God has given us? What does that look like for us? Fourth and lastly, how does, God, how does the gospel empower us to be faithful stewards of the power that he has given us? So let's jump right in. First, God is all-powerful, and God never ceases to be all-powerful. God has power over all things at all times and in all ways. As Jeremiah proclaims, nothing is too hard for God. We read, in, we read in Exodus 20, and it referenced this in the Jeremiah passage, and the Israelites witnessed the great power of God through the ten plagues of Egypt. God literally turned the entire Nile River into blood. He literally changed the very substance of the river from water to blood. H-T-O, H2O, H-T-O, H2O to blood. He changed the very substance of the water. It wasn't just poisoned or wasn't made toxic or unclean in some kind of way. He changed the water to blood. And they witnessed that. When the Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued the Israelites, God parted the Red Sea for their safe passage, but the waters came crushing back down on Pharaoh's army. You know, for most of us, we read this, we've read this account, and we've heard this Exodus 20 account so often, or just the whole story in Exodus so often, that our jaws don't drop anymore. When I read this to Carson, he literally drops his jaw and his eyes get big. He looks, every time. And this is, this is just a glimmer of the power of God, just his omnipotence. In Mark 4, Jesus awakens from a nap during a storm and tells nature to calm down. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> the disciples get to witness Jesus' divine power, seeing him bring order from chaos. His disciples were stunned. They were left in awe. They were wondering. And at the same time, understandably terrified. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The sort of man who is fully God, possessed of infinite power, the very one who spoke order from chaos before the foundation of the universe, as we read in John 1. And it's difficult for us to understand what it means that, that God is all-powerful, has infinite power, because everything in our universe, including us, our power is limited. Our power is very limited. A politician can have a ton of power once he's elected, but how much power does that, that man or that woman have in the womb? A Category 5 hurricane is powerful for a few days over the ocean, but a couple days over land and the storm's gone. After Job goes through the tragedy of losing his family, his possessions, his health, he marvels at the power of God and he concludes that this is but a fraction of the power of God. Job 26, 14, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Jen Wilkin is the author of the book, None Like Him. Uh, we've been quoting her every week uh, in all the sermons. But she writes, God is not merely possessed of great power. He is all-powerful, limitless in power, infinitely powerful. 
Because we know he creates and sustains all, it follows that all power would belong to him. Because we know God is not subject to change, we understand that his power can neither increase or decrease. If it is true that knowledge is power, how powerful is the one who holds all knowledge? Because God is not bound by location or time, remember he is omnipresent and eternal, his power is able to be exercised anywhere at any time. And unlike us, God never needs to take a break or rest to regain his strength. He doesn't need to slam a protein shake after workouts to recover. He doesn't need naps or eight hours of sleep each day to, to function at the highest ability that he can the next day. Isaiah 40, 28, he does not faint or grow weary. He does not faint or grow weary. When God created creation by the power of his word on the seventh day, he gave a day of rest. It isn't that God needed rest because it did not drain him or use up any of his power. Rather, God set a pattern of rest to benefit us, his power-limited image bearers. So for the Christian and the non-Christian alike, the truth in Scripture that has been shared so far should make all of our jaws drop. Our eyes should get big. It should be very similar to the disciples' response after Jesus calmed the storm. We should be shocked. We should be in awe and wondering, and at the same time terrified at the truth of God being all-powerful. But if you've been given the gift of faith through God's all-powerful grace, then you have the privilege of calling the all-powerful, almighty God Father. Last weekend, Avonlea was sick. Um, she had a, a fever. She wasn't eating very much throughout the day, so that meant she slept awfully. Uh, it was a long weekend. I mean, it seemed like nothing, the only thing that could, could comfort her was me holding her. For whatever reason right now, she's in a daddy fix. I'm going to take it because it doesn't happen very often. But the only thing that would comfort her was me holding her, whether it was at noon, whether it was at midnight, three in the morning, it did not matter. It had to be me holding her. The problem is at midnight or early in the morning, I'm tired. I'm falling asleep. My arms are weak. My patience has run out. I'm done. I'm tapped out. Our Heavenly Father, on the other hand, never closes his eyes to sleep. He never suffers from fatigue. His arms never grow too weary to support and protect his children. Our Heavenly Father is strong continually, forever. Our Father uses his power to protect his children for our good. The all-powerful God of the universe, the very one who used his power to create, and create creation and sustain creation, is also our Heavenly Father. If this truth doesn't cause you to adore and worship God, we've got to check your pulse. There might be something wrong with you. God is all-powerful over all things at all times and always. So moving on to the next point in the outline, power is a quality that, that we all desire to have, whether we're willing to admit it or not. We all like having power because it comes in all shapes and forms. Power in and of itself is not a bad thing at all. If it was, then God would not possess it. The problem we all run into is that we sinfully grasp for power for our own purposes rather than for God's purposes. We use our limited power for our own gain and for our own self-elevation. We also sinfully believe that we have more power than we actually possess. 
We all have power in some way. We're all image bearers of God, which gives us power. God entrusts each of us with a limited amount of power, and we can use that power for good or for evil. So when you think of strength or you think of strong, a strong person in the Bible, who's one of the first people that always comes to mind? Hey, you all are on. You all are on this point. Samson. The account of Samson that's found in Judges 13 through 16, God gives Samson this divine gift of strength for the purpose of fighting for God's people against the Philistines. But instead, Samson used the power given to him by God to win the Philistines' favor, to basically to get in good with the Philistines, to, to take their belongings, to take their wealth, and he also took many of their women for his wives. It was all about Samson. Had nothing to do with God's purposes of his strength. So Samson's problem was that he believed he earned his power. He earned his power by being obedient to God. And like Samson, when we view our power or our strength of ours as the product of our obedience or something that we earned, we will use it to serve ourselves rather than to serve God and rather than to serve others. And due to our sinful nature, we are all, we are all power hungry, looking for ways to use and increase in power, increase in power for our own purposes. And because we are broken, fallen people, there's no limit to that, how we seek to do this, to how we seek to be powerful like God. We can do this with just about anything. Our class ranking, whether or not we're a starter on the varsity team, our looks, our popularity, our finances, our titles, our kids, you name it, it is a way we can feel powerful or more powerful than other people around us, or maybe just as powerful as God. And so for the sake of time and Ryan Lear, who says, I'll be his favorite preacher if I keep him short. <laughs> I just want to mention a, a few ways that our culture defines who and what gives a person power. A quick way to see and think about the biggest ways our culture grants power is just look at the magazine covers in the grocery store. We grant power to the physically strong, to the beautiful, and to the wealthy. Let me briefly explain each of these for a moment. First, physical strength and ability gives you much power in our culture. Some of the best paying jobs in our country are athletes. We literally play, pay football players, basketball players, you name it, athletes, millions of dollars to play child games. The games that we play, grew up playing on the playground together. We pay a ton of money to watch them on the television. We buy season tickets to a not so good Orlando City soccer club. We get sucked into the fantasy football Every fall, that's me, I'm talking to myself there. And we can just, we can struggle with this in so many different ways. I struggle with this for the longest time. I believe that my physical strength, all through when I started in high school and then in college, that it made me better and more powerful than other people in the gym with me. Strangers and people that I don't even know. I start believing that I'm better and more powerful than them and my closest friends. How gross is that? The first question every guy always asks when talking about working out, how much do you bench? Are they genuinely curious or do they want to see if they're stronger than you or not? As if strength and power of our chest muscles determines our fitness level. We glorify fitness and health and we see it most tellingly in the way that we sideline and disregard those who do not possess physical strength and ability. The elderly, the disabled, the unborn, we don't even give some of these basic human rights because we don't even recognize them as human. 
They have no strength. They have no power. And because of that, we look at them as less than everyone else, or at least less than us. And there is a sinful reason why most domestic violence targets women and children. They tend to have, a less, they tend to have less physical power than men. In James 1 and many other places in the Bible, we're encouraged to look after the weak and the vulnerable. Those with strength pursue and protect the weak, but our hearts and our culture tell us that our physical power is for us. It's for ourselves. Use it for your gain, for your self-elevation. Second, beauty and what our culture calls sexy grant power. How many times have you seen or heard of an incident where an attractive woman is pulled over for speeding 20 miles over just to get off with a warning? Oh, he was just being nice. That's, no. No. It's never happened for me. <laughs> Kylie Jenner is one of the youngest billionaires ever due to a makeup line and an image in cosmetics and fashion that she has created based on her image and based on beauty. The beauty industry feeds us the enticing lie that if we fix the outside, we'll fix the inside. We will feel better if we look better. Contrary to what the beauty industry claims, true beauty begins with internal change. Are you going after beauty that will stay with us forever or a beauty that will quickly fade with age and time? You see, because true beauty has staying power that time cannot touch. External beauty has a bunch of arrows that point to you. Internal beauty has a bunch of arrows that point to the Father and to others. God's word tells us to show no partiality, don't show favoritism. Yet we live in a culture that obviously and deliberately shows favoritism to the beautiful and the sexy. Third, uh, wealth and money give power in our culture. In fact, the more wealth and money you have, the more power you have. Rachel and I, we recently watched the O.J. Simpson documentary on ESPN, very good, that focused on the murder of Nicole Brown or Nicole uh, Simpson. And we're currently watching The Staircase on Netflix. It's very similar in that a man may or may not have pushed his wife down the stairs and murdered her. I haven't finished it, so please don't say anything. Um, but what Rachel and I noticed was that both of these men, that both of these men have a ton of money. O.J. Simpson spent $25,000 to $50,000 a day in the 90s for his defense team. The other man, Michael Stevenson, I think his name is estimated 800,000 so far for his defense team. We're only three episodes in. The poor don't have that kind of money to defend themselves, even if they're innocent. So many men and women have gone to jail just because they don't have the financial means to defend themselves well or even post bail. Money gives you access to so much more in our culture, better nutrition, better health care, better seats at a hockey game, better houses. These aren't bad things. My hope is that you don't feel guilty for having these things if you have them. A lot of us have these, some of these things. But here is where our hearts should be convicted. We can quickly grow to view our personal wealth as our own rightful possession, along with the power that it grants to be enjoyed solely by us and for us. The things you own end up owning you. Think about the rich young ruler in Luke 18. He couldn't walk away from his wealth. It was his. He earned it or inherited it in some kind of way, but it had so much power that he couldn't walk away from it. He couldn't walk away from it and follow Jesus. 
A believer who is unable to give liberally, liberally and joyfully to those in need reveals that they have lost control of their role to steward the wealth that God has given them. So physical strength and ability, beauty and sexiness, wealth and money, these are three of the most obvious ways that we can seek and have power in our culture. But there's so many other ways we can seek to attain power or feel powerful. Teenagers, when you receive a certain number of likes or have a certain number of followers, how powerful do you feel? More telling may be how powerful you feel when nobody likes a picture that you posted. Are you using your power for your own gain and self-elevation? Yes, we all do. We all do this. So a better question is, in what ways are you using your power, your strengths for yourself and your own interests? What gives you strength and what makes you feel powerful? Who do you view as weak or at least less powerful than you? This next question might help you. It helped me a ton um, become more aware of, of my own heart when it comes to relying on my power, my strength, or God's power and his strength. How often do you pray? What does your prayer life look like? Is it only when things get really, really bad? When I asked myself this question, it just extremely convicted me because it showed me that I just rely way too much on my own strength. Way too much is all about how I can white-knuckle things and get things done. You see, because I hate and we hate the idea, idea of being weak. We hate being powerless. We want to believe that we have our own personal strength, our own personal power. If you're weak, then there's something wrong with you. If you're powerless, then you're extremely vulnerable. How many of you like sharing your weaknesses with someone else? How many of you like being vulnerable? I don't. Being vulnerable and being open about my weaknesses and struggles is extremely difficult for me. Just ask Rachel. Because when I'm vulnerable and open about my weaknesses, who has the power in that conversation? Whoever I'm sharing with, I'm opening up my heart, my very soul to someone, and they have all the power in the world to crush me in so many different ways. Let me give you another example from my own heart. In preparing this sermon, uh, or any sermon, anytime I'm in a teaching or leading setting, my sinful bent is to lead out of my own power, out of my own strength and ability. In writing this sermon, I'm tempted to rely on my own ability to craft words, put phrases together, rather than rely on God's word and rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Some of you are thinking, man, really, Brandon? You're not even that good. (laughs) Besides the point, my heart can still go there. But in all seriousness, I'm tempted to use my own voice rather than trust God's word and his voice for all of us, including myself, even as I preach. I'm tempted to trust in my own power and ability that God has given me rather than completely relying on his power and his ability to speak to our hearts. I mean, pray for me in that, because if I do ministry out of my own strength, my own power, two things are going to happen. It's going to be bad for you. It'll be very unpleasant. I won't be effective in the ways that I need to be effective. And second, I won't make it. I'll burn out. The only way I can be fruitful as a pastor, the only way any pastor can be fruitful is when we rely solely on the power and strength of our Father. We weren't designed to carry the weight that we so often put on our shoulders. Where we are weak and powerless doesn't mean that we're less than or that we're unworthy. We were designed and created to be like God in power, not equal to God in power. Even before sin came into existence, we were never created to be as powerful as God. 
In fact, that was part of the lie that Adam and Eve believed that caused them sin. They wanted to be exactly like God when they were never meant or made or designed to be exactly like God. So as we're considering embracing our limits, it's significant for us to consider Jesus' earthly ministry. He never impressed or overpowered anyone with his physical strength. The only description of his physical appearance in the scripture says that he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was an average looking guy at best by worldly standards. He never got a second look. He did not possess personal wealth nor did he use money to gain privilege. He didn't use the money that he did have to collect, that they had collected to create some kind of defense team before Pilate or the Jewish council. You see, Jesus knew and Jesus knows that all power belongs to his Father. Therefore, he walked humbly among us, demonstrating divine power only as it served the greater purposes of his ministry, of his Father's ministry. Jesus demonstrated perfect trust in the strength of his father, not his own. His perfect trust in the strength of his father, it culminates at the cross. We often forget in the divine nature of Jesus as he approached the cross, that Jesus was fully God just as he was fully man as he spent those last few days, those last few hours of his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, his disciple, he pulls out a sword to defend Jesus and Jesus quickly rebukes him and tells him that if he wanted to call upon 12 legions of angels at this moment to protect and defend him, that he could. Literally 12 armies of angels could come and fight for Jesus if that's what he wanted. He has that power. But not my will, but only my Father's will. He never used his power for his own gain. It was always for another or others. It was in his weakness and his trust in God that led him to the most powerful event of all time, where Jesus conquered the power of sin and death through his weakness, literally surrendering his life to death. His weakness brought forth the power to transform the human heart from stone to flesh. We have limited power in various forms, but we do not have the power to change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That's not our power. That power belongs to God and God alone. Almost a month ago, uh, the high school students and some leaders, we went to camp together for a week. And on the last day, uh, we went whitewater rafting together. And now, I have to preface this whole rafting event uh, just so you understand the severity of the ride down the rapids. Um, rapids are classified on a scale from one to six. One being this casual stream, six being unraftable. You will more than likely die if you go down it. Raft professionals don't go down the class six rapids. Most of the rapids we encountered were class four. So like, all right, well, it's kind of in the middle, a little above the middle, it's about average. The day we went down the Ocoee River, there was a big thunderstorm going on. So because of that, the water's moving a little quicker, a little faster. On top of that, they had just opened up the dam connected to the river early that morning. So what that means is that the waters are a lot quicker because of the thunderstorm and because of the dam. A lot of the guys said, well, we probably did a lot of more fives on the river than fours. Six is the worst one. So the raft trip takes an hour and five minutes to hour and 10 minutes. We did the entire trip in under 40. In hindsight, we shouldn't have gone down the river. <laughs> Speaking of hindsight, our guide was a first summer guide. Uh, not a lot of experience so far. He'd already flipped a boat earlier in the day. 
later that day, we, all the guys said they were never getting a boat with him. Uh, so Ethan Winfrey uh, is in front of me, Clay Corbett, Corbett the front right, uh, myself middle left, Ellie Winfrey middle right, I had Kennedy Chambers behind me, and then Lily Milney uh, in the back right. Um, we were all on the boat together, and within 10 seconds, within 10 seconds, they throw us right into a rapid, our boat flips. Our guide panics, our boat flips. Now, it was scary for all of us in the water. Honestly, there were a few moments where I was underwater, I'm thinking, oh, this, I might go see Jesus soon. But Ellie, uh, Ellie Winfrey, by far, had it the worst. Ellie got launched down the left side of the rapid. And now our guide said that if you flip and it gets bad, we're going to throw a rope at you, and you need to do everything you can to catch that rope. They threw three ropes at Ellie to try to save her, none of which she was able to grab. Finally, the last boat, the last time Ellie had a chance to be saved, they were able to grab her, pull her out, and quite frankly, save her life. The guide said if he wasn't able to pull her out of the water right then and there, she more than likely would have drowned. It would have been a while before they got to her. Now, none of the parents are ever going to send their kids to camp with me ever again. <laughs> I assure you, we will not be rafting under those conditions ever. I'll talk to all the guides, find out how many years they've been doing this. But anyways, in all seriousness, Ellie had no power to save herself. She, she can't stand, she can't swim, the current's too strong, the waters are too, too turbulent. In the same manner, in the same manner that Ellie was in, where she could not save herself, we do not have the power to save ourselves, spiritually. There is no amount of physical strength, there's no amount of beauty or money, goodness, whatever it is you believe that gives you power to save, that can get you out of the turbulence of your sin. We need Jesus and Jesus alone to save us from the depths. But instead of quieting the storm with his words, he quieted the storm with the sacrifice of his life. Now here's where it gets so mind-boggling and upside down for us. Once our hearts admit the above, once we admit that we are weak, that we are powerless to save ourselves, that it is all the work of Jesus Christ that calms the ocean of our sin, granting us forgiveness, granting us righteousness, God sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. We literally have the power of the Almighty God, of God, Almighty God at work inside of us because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside each one of our hearts. God has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, working in great power through us to accomplish His purposes. Paul prays for the Ephesians to live in the strength of His power. He says in Ephesians 3, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There are two big takeaways from this passage. First, know that his power is at work within us already. If you are in Christ, it is already at work in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the depths of hell is the same spirit that is alive and at work within you. Second, true power, true strength, God's power and strength at work in our lives comes from only knowing, trusting, and experiencing the love of Christ more and more. 
There's not some kind of formula or some kind of ladder you got to climb. It is trusting in his love and understanding his love more and more in your life and in your heart. Wilkins says, the truth of God's unlimited power would be absolutely terrifying, absolutely terrifying if it was not paired with the truth of his unlimited goodness. This is why we can trust that he is able to work all things for our good. We daily witness the devastating of power abused by humans and power in natural disasters and disease wreaking havoc in a fallen world. But one day, one day, Jesus will split the sky in power, uttering a final piece, peace, be still. And until that day, may we be strong in the Lord, armed and ready to use every ounce of our God-given strength for his purposes and the good of others. Let's pray. Father, you are all-powerful, the omnipotent one. Father, when we create things, whether with our hands or with our minds, there are always tools or ideas that allow us to create. We always have some kind of starting point. We always have some kind of help. But because of your power, you created creation out of nothing. No tools, no pre-existing material or resources. You spoke, and it was so. So, Father, we admit that we so easily believe our power is something we earned, and therefore we can use it for our own selfish purposes. So we pray Paul's words to the Corinthians, may your grace be sufficient for us, because our power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, may we boast all the more joyfully in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on us. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when we are weak, that is when we are strong. So, Father, may you do powerful things, things we can't even begin to imagine in our relationships, in our families, in our marriages, in our marriages, in our friendships, in Winter Haven, in your world, through us, because the power of your spirit with us, within us, is unlimited. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We await in a time where God has not left us. He has gone before us, but he is with us. He is living and dwelling inside of us. And that is the power that can lead us through uh, this world. So wherever you feel weak, uh, wherever you feel like you're struggling and where you're vulnerable, um, I mean, that, that's the place where you're going to find God. That's where you're going to experience God's love, and that's where you're going to find power. So as we go, we, we go with this blessing and the power of God over us. So please receive the Lord's uh, promise and benediction for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Go in his peace.